Luke 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Hmm. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Good morning. Good morning. An actual news story a couple years ago I read it and I want to read it to you. Are you with me? Scuffles broke out and police were brought in to quell unrest that nearly turned into riots across the United States on Friday following the release of, I'm not going to tell you what it is, it's a model of this really very popular thing. The news article continues. The frenzy, now the, the reporter has used the word frenzy, I love this. The frenzy over this thing has been dangerous in the past. Some people were mugged or even killed for early versions of it. Do you know, do you know what it is already? Some of you already know what I'm talking about. By the way, thank you for the beautiful introduction. I'm not that fragile. <laughs> but I love you, Jay, and I love being here with all of you. Okay, so the news article continues. The thing has since been, since it was introduced, since has been a consistent hit with fans, spawning a subculture of collectors willing to wait hours to buy the latest one. Some collectors save them for special occasions or never take them out of the box. Are you curious yet? This is, this is, a, this is a preaching technique. I build your, the tension. You're all so with me, you can't wait. I'm, I'm going to tell you at the end of the sermon what it is. <laughs> the mayhem, oh, so we've gone from frenzy to mayhem now. <laughs> for those of you who are English majors, or maybe you do writing for a living, I love this. The, the mayhem stretched from Washington State to Georgia, gives us a sense the whole country is, is swallowed up in this, and it had a decidedly Black Friday feel as huge crowds of shoppers overwhelmed stores for this must-have item. I pause here now to explain to you people of Boulder what Black Friday is because I'm pretty sure you don't know. Um, Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. More importantly, Black Friday is what we do, um, at least where I live, 
um, right after we have given thanks for all the good things and the right things that we value in life, such as life, the fact that grandma's still around, we all gather at a meal and we say this, provision, this is really what matters. Thank you, God, we have enough to eat. Um, the fact that Uncle Bob finally found somebody to marry. The fact that sibling so-and-so are not getting along or at least they're here for a meal. That, that there's generally health in our family and that we have you, God, to watch, provide for us. Thank you, God, for all the things that really matter. Hours later, we're at Target lined up to save $10 on a big flat screen TV. Yes? Right, so that's what Black Friday is. And where I come from, it gets really, really weird. I mean, now Black Friday begins on Thursday. Also, people want to save a few dollars so much so that they'll pay other people to line up for them, which essentially cancels out the savings but yet they feel like it's important to do that um, because we have to participate in this later. So now, do you, do you have that here in Boulder? Okay. For those of you who are from the Northwest, and every person I meet from the Northwest, with apologies to your family, has this air superiority, like we're better, it rains here. Um, this happened in Seattle too. In suburban Seattle, police use pepper spray on about 20 customers who started fighting at a mall. There was fighting over this thing. Uh, the crowd started gathering at four stores in the mall around midnight and had grown to more than 1,000 people by 4 a.m. when the stores opened, fighting and pushing among people online lasted for over an hour. People are beating each other up for this thing. Do you, do you wanna know what this thing is? Yeah, me too. Would you line up at midnight with 1,000 people and risk you know, injury? If, if it was the cure for male pattern baldness. <laughs> what, what would you line up for and fight for and risk being pepper sprayed for? Gets better. Police said, I, this is where this reporter's editor should probably have had a conversation that went like this. Come here, close the door behind you. Um, we gotta talk about your writing. Police said no injuries were reported, although some people suffered cuts, scrapes, bone fractures from fights. <laughs> Shoppers also broke two doors and an 18-year-old man was arrested for assault after authorities say he punched an officer. Punched a police officer because of this thing that they want. A man was stabbed when a brawl broke out between several people waiting in line in Jersey City, um, etc. I'm boring you now with all this. Okay, so you wanna know what this thing is? I will tell you now what this is. Um, Josh, please reveal the item that people were fighting over. Behold the Air Jordans. Those are retro Air Jordans. And now I know that all of you are gonna get online right after we're done with church to read up. And I got really obsessed with this story. I got, I got so obsessed that I watched, I watched YouTube videos of people fighting each other over the shoes, uh, lining up early. And there are people trampling each other trying to get to shoes. Shoes. 
Uh, one reporter, and this is my favorite scene, one reporter is standing outside one of the, sh the stores that had been overrun with people, and they are running out of the store, clutching the shoes to their car. She finally got one person to stop, and she said, hey, 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 what you got there? And the guy's like, I got the retros, I got the retros. And then, and then she says, is this, is this what you wanted? And he goes, <laughs> you don't understand, I collect these things. And then she says, is it, is it gonna make you happy? And his answer was, yes, it's gonna make me very happy. And here, I think as he was clutching this, this shoebox, I had this revelation that we all clutch something like this in life, don't we? Because we are like this man clutching his shoes, we're guilty of buying into three myths. One, that things will make us happy. Two, that things will give us a sense of security. And ultimately, we've bought into a myth that says that we actually own things. I'll say more about that, don't worry. I'll say more about all these things. Those three things, these three problems, I believe are the problems that Jesus is tackling with this parable, this final in the stories that we've been hearing for the last five weeks. He's tackling these myths that we've bought into as they relate to stuff in the world. The three myths. Now, I know what happens when we talk about money and possessions. To be clear, Jesus talked about money and possessions a lot. 16 of the 38 parables are about money and possessions and how to handle them. In the Gospels, uh, an amazing one out of 10 verses are about money and possessions. Did you know this? And then the entire Bible talks about uh, faith and prayer over 500 times, but about money and possessions over 2,000 times. So don't be nervous. I'm not here to tell you you have to leave it all behind. All your possessions need to be brought to the church tomorrow, handed over to Pastor Japheth to be used for the good of the city of Boulder. That's not what this is about. And I know often we preach it this way, but this is more about more than that. It's not a bad thing when your land produces plentifully. Jesus doesn't say that the problem is that the land produced plentifully. It's not a bad thing when your business prospers. It's not a bad thing when you receive a promotion and with it comes a, a pay increase, hopefully. It's not a bad thing when your invest, investments increase in value. The evil in this parable is not in the blessing that this man was receiving. This man in the parable was called a fool not because he was a productive farmer. And God knows, God knows that in a broken world like ours, productive farmers, we need them. Profitable businesses, we need them. So this is not about you leaving your possessions behind. This is about something bigger and it's the myths that I believe Jesus is getting to. Number one, the first myth, the more stuff is gonna make me happy. That the path of true satisfaction is more. The greed, falling into a pattern of greed and coveting, which are really hard to see, is really what will make us happy ultimately. The, com the coveting commandment, as Jesus says in the parable, uh, don't fall prey to the coveting, the problem. The coveting commandment is really, really hard to see. You can't see it happening. Breaking the 10th commandment is not visible. 
we may all be doing it right now. No one can tell if you're coveting. Everyone can tell when you're murdering. Everyone can tell when you're committing adultery. We can tell when you're lying. But coveting is an internal, non-observable sin, which is why it's so dangerous. Your pastor Japheth one day may stand up here and say, in tears, I have a sin to confess before you. And if he says, I have coveted, no one's going to say, well, you can't be our pastor anymore. But if he says, I murdered someone, well, um, there's some things to talk about. Coveting is, is dangerous precisely because we can't see it happening. Uh, and coveting looks like this. You buy it and take it home. You unwrap it and take it out of the box. You plug it in, you park it in the driveway, or you put it on, you wear it, and you realize, oh, this didn't even make me happy. Or you realize, oh, they now make it in red. And the new ones have chrome and 17 more horsepower or 300 cubic feet of extra whatever. My cousin Tony last night was laughing at me because I know nothing about cars. Or the new one has a dilithium chamber in it or, or is made from vibranium. Or whatever your thing is here in Boulder. The new Subaru <laughs> is... <laughs> Or those new Birkenstocks are so... <laughs> or Tim Cook will announce this new thing and we all have to buy it now. Even though the last one worked just fine, but now that there's a new one, I'm not quite happy with this one right now, except for those poor wretches of you who have to use the Android thing that you have um, with you. Here's the advertisements coming our way right now. My inbox is filling every day with Mother's Day announcements. And these, these announcements say things like, if you really want your wife or mom to be happy, get her this. She won't quite be happy without this new Dyson vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's not what I'm getting with. <laughs> but covening is a problem because covening... Um, reminds or keeps us from really being content with whatever God has given us right now. The commandment when it was given to the people of Israel in Exodus 20 says, you will not covet. I'm going to read it to you. You will not covet. You will not covet. Um, where are you, commandment? There you are. Um, you will not covet your neighbor's house. You will not covet your neighbor's wife. You will not covet your neighbor's servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything of your neighbors. Don't cover your neighbor's things. Because if you do, you're going to forget that all the things that I've given you are what you're supposed to be content with. And here's an interesting thing that happens in Deuteronomy when God gives the commandments again. For some of you, this may be like the first time you knew the commandments were given twice. The second time God gives the commandments to the people of Israel, they're found in Deuteronomy number, uh, chapter 5. And here's what God says to them about coveting. You will not covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, that sounds like the last time, yes. And you will not desire your neighbor's house. You will not desire your neighbor's land or his male servant, female servant, or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. God adds land to what you are not to desire. 
of your neighbors. Why is this? Well, it's pretty easy. In Exodus, the people of Israel did not have land. They were still meandering in the desert, hoping for the promised land they were headed to. So God didn't include land then. But once they've crossed into, or they're about to cross into, in Deuteronomy, into the promised land, God has now added to the commandment, don't cover your neighbor's wife, don't cover your neighbor's donkey, don't cover your neighbor's Subaru, and also don't covet your neighbor's land. But why is land so important now? Well, because they're about to have land. But this is deeper than that. The Hebrew word for land is gan. And the gan is more than just a plot of land that's going to be yours. It's actually your identity. You ever wonder why it's so hard to solve the problems in the Middle East? It's because we're not just talking about land boundaries. We're talking about identity. Uh, when I talk with Shelly about this, Shelly really gets this, I don't really get it as well as she does. Because when she moves into a new space, she inhabits it, and she makes it her own. It's her land, her gan. I am really content with a table to put my food on, and that's it, and my remote. That's all I need. Oh, but she, you know, she's got to put pictures on. Every surface is covered with something. And it's got to say something about herself. If I'm going to invite people over, I have to let her know months in advance. Because her space says something about her. That's her identity. And God tells the people of Israel, you are not to covet land, because when you're coveting someone's land, you're coveting what? Who they are. And as you're doing that, you're walking to the edge of your boundary, your land, you've turned your back on everything I've given you. I've given you this, but now you want your neighbors. I want my neighbors' life, my neighbors' resources, my neighbors' looks, my neighbors' happiness, my neighbors' whatever. You're turning your back on what I have given for you. And this internal Desire for more and more and more, Jesus says, is going to eventually destroy you. He says, don't fall prey to that. Don't want more than I've given you. Coveting is dangerous. The second myth that Jesus exposes here, first myth is that more stuff will make us happy. So don't covet more stuff. Second myth is the myth of ownership, that we actually own things. Uh, the first word both of my children uttered when they were little was mine. Actually, for my daughter was no, and for my son was mine. Mine, 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 mine. Anyone else have kids that said mine first? Mine, mine. No, that's not yours. It's actually mine. I'm letting you borrow it for now. But it's in our human nature to constantly say mine, mine, mine. And what does God say about this? Very clearly, the Psalms speak of this over and over again. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to God. All of the earth, all the resources. Who is the owner? God is the owner. Who is not the owner? Us. We have things temporarily. <laughs> They're given to us to manage. But when we clutch things like those shoes and we say, this is mine. No, it's not. It belongs to God. <laughs> oh, my, son, my son, I have two kids. Uh, my daughter, she's, she's uh, intelligent, compliant, beautiful, talented. 
etc. And then I have this other kid. <laughs> Micah, you're watching, Micah. I love you too, buddy. I'm joking. <laughs> this guy was born with a sweet tooth, crazy sweet tooth. Wow. He gets up in the morning. I got I to gotta find, find sweets right now. I will not survive this day without a candy bar. So in his, his life is organized around sweets. He, we would put whatever the dessert is going to be at the table, we'd put it on the table, and he would eat staring at the dessert, making sure that no one moves into it before he has had a chance to help split it into perfect four pieces. Now, he's volunteered over the years to do this, and at first we thought, how cute. He wants to help cut the cake or cut the pie or cut whatever. That's not cute. It wasn't cute at all. He was trying to make sure that no one got an atom more than they were supposed to get. It wasn't really a justice or fairness thing. It was a greed move, a greedy move. <laughs> and one day, he finally decided, he began to act like everything that came into the house that it was sweet belonged to him. You, if we brought anything into the house, donuts, cake, whatever was sweet, he would grab it and go, okay, I'll split it up for everybody. And I finally went ahead to say, mm, everything in this house is mine. And if I eat more than my share, it's okay, because I am the owner of this house. <laughs> Some of you are laughing, you're like, maybe you have to do the same thing in your home. What if, what if God looks upon us clutching onto our shoes or whatever else our possessions are, and we clutch them because we think they're going to make us happy, and God says, that's, that's not even yours. It's actually, ultimately, mine. The last myth that Jesus exposes is the myth that things will make us secure. We think we can make ourselves secure by amassing, building more barns, bigger barns, and filling them with things. We would love to think that, hey, right now I have, a, I have a daughter going to college. I'd love to think that that's going to make her secure for life. We'd love to think that owning a home or several homes or one here and one in Arizona <laughs> or in Florida is going to make us secure. That the larger our 401 or 403 or 405, however many types there are, will make us more secure. I ran into a friend who has five kids who said to me, this, four kids in that one, that's my plan right now, 401 retirement plan. <laughs> but all it takes is one serious diagnosis. or one car accident, or the stock market dropping a thousand points in one day, for the myth of security to be exposed. And that's when we realize we're fragile, and that we're vulnerable, and that we fall for the illusion of security. This is what, this is what the parable says, this is what I'll do, says the man. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? We're going to die, rich or poor, and all the money in the world cannot change that. And buying into the myth that more money or more possessions are going to somehow make us more secure is eventually going to leave us disappointed. There's a fact the financial markets are going to rise and they're going to fall. Home values are going to go up and they're going to go down. Our jobs sometimes are going to be secure, sometimes they're not going to be secure. And Jesus says to this man, build your life on something stronger, something unchanging. Build your life on things that you'll never have to be disappointed about. What are they? Well, quite simply, the hymn says it. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. What is unchanging? God's character, his love, his justice, his mercy. That will never change. I have friends who stress out about our political leaders. Our political leaders cannot vote on what God is and who God is and his unchanging love and justice and mercy. They will come and go in Silver Spring and in Washington, D.C. They will come and go, but they don't get to vote on this. God, character, love, justice, mercy, unchanging forever. If you still look, this is an ironic moment, if you still look at dollar bills, if you, have, if you still have paper money, <laughs> which increasingly we don't have, the very dollar bill says, no, in God we trust, not in this. Isn't that awesome? In God we trust, because we know that God will never change. The value of this piece of paper may change. How many of these pieces of paper I have may change, but God is the one I can actually trust. As Paul says to the Philippians, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. And this is a man who could say it with confidence because God had provided everything that he needed. The parable closes with these words. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. One author, I'm gonna to read to you how one author explains what rich towards God looks like. Being rich towards God, his name is King Duncan, being rich towards God, therefore, is the heart being drawn towards God as our riches. Rich towards God means moving forward and towards God as our sole source of riches. Rich towards God means counting God greater, a greater riches than anything on earth. Rich toward God means using earthly riches to show how much we value God. And again, the issue isn't that the man's fields have prospered. The issue isn't even that you should not be merry and drink and eat. Let's eat and drink and be merry. Uh, Jesus didn't say he was opposed to that. The issue is that God created us for more than that. And the issue is that for this man, God ceased to be the supreme treasure. If God had been his supreme treasure, what would he have done differently? Instead of saying, Saul, you have ample goods laid up for many years to come, just relax now, maybe he would have said something differently. He would have said, God, you have made my fields prosper. 
Show me how to express with riches, in my riches, that you are my treasure. And that the riches of this world will never be my treasure. I already have enough. I don't need a bigger barn. I don't need a bigger safety net. I don't need a new Subaru. I don't need new shoes. I want to make merry with the people who have been helped by my generosity. I want the fullest blessing of giving. My God will provide for all your needs according to his riches. The riches of God can't compare to the things of this world. And so if today you're clutching into or clutching a box full of some shoes that next year will not be as cool as the ones from last year, or if in your life you're clutching to something that you think is going to make you happy or give you security, you don't own it, first of all. But second of all, it could never satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts, which can only be ours when we have trusted the one that will never change. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Amen.